the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Portions of the following program may be pre-recorded. The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. It's time to blow the trumpet in Zion. Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress, brought to you by the National Prayer Chapel with Pastor Ray Greenlee. The message today, living in a day of irreverence, David the shepherd boy has endured being chased by King Saul, almost losing his life time after time. Finally, King Saul is killed in a battle with the Philistine army. David goes to the tribe of Judah and is made king over one tribe. After several years, he is finally crowned king of all of Israel as the tribes all come together to support his kingship. He is a warrior king, but he is a righteous king. It is his greatest desire that the Ark of the Covenant, which was stolen, captured by the Philistines, and then returned, but never returned to the tabernacle of God. It was put into a a private home, Abimadad's home, and it remained there year after year. No offerings were were brought. No worship and praise was made. It was covered over. It was almost forgotten. Twenty years, they had no Ark of the Covenant, no visible presence of God in Israel. And it was David's greatest desire to bring the Ark to Jerusalem. Now, the children of Israel still held their celebrations and their feasts. They went to a place called Gibeon. There was a high place there. If you remember, that's where David's son went for his coronation, Solomon. But David wanted the Ark of the Covenant, the visible presence of God, to be in the city of God in Jerusalem. I love David because he wanted the presence of God with him. And I just ask you today, do you want the presence of God with you? Is there a rising up in your heart that says, I must have the glory of God in my heart and in my life? Because you understand, there is no tabernacle today that we can go to. You and I are the tabernacle of God. And if you are the tabernacle of God, is the Shekinah glory of God in your heart? Or are you devoid of the Holy Spirit? 
many, many Christians that I meet have no Holy Spirit presence. And when I see them on the street, it's obvious to me that they have no Holy Spirit presence. They have a religion. They have a form of godliness. But there's no glory on their face. There's no praise in their heart. There's no overflowing joy and love and peace. Last Tuesday night, I invited those to come forward who had been touched by God and they made a decision. They wanted wanted the presence of God in their hearts. They wanted to say, yes, Jesus, I'll serve you. One of those young people came to me this week. And he said, Pastor, I'd never made a decision to follow Jesus before. But when you began to pray, the Holy Spirit fell on me. My heart melted. He was embarrassed. He didn't know how to talk about it. He had no religious language in his culture to use. But he said, something changed in me. A door opened in my heart. And the peace of God came rushing in. What is this, Pastor? I said, it's the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit. Terrified him. I said, he's going to be in you like a radioactive material. He is going to begin to permeate every part of your body. You've crossed over a line. Now, with all of your heart, desire the presence of Jesus in your heart. And that presence of the Holy Spirit will grow in your spirit. But some of us grow uncomfortable with the Holy Spirit and we say, okay, that's enough. Don't don't call me to too much sacrifice here. Don't call me to divorce the world. Just let me have a little bit of the Holy Spirit and a little bit of the devil. David said, no. I want all of the presence, Shekinah glory presence of God. I want Jerusalem to be filled with the presence of God. I want Washington, D.C. to be filled with the presence of God. But I know it has to start with a circle around me, and then it has to include all of you. And the circle has to begin just around you, and then include everybody else too, as we allow this radioactive power of the Holy Spirit. I want to use the term Holy Ghost, but some of you don't understand the word Holy Ghost. It's an old English word, and it means Holy Guest. It doesn't mean ghost. It means guest. Well, I don't want the Holy Spirit to be a guest in me. I want to be the guest in my life. I want to move totally out of my life, and I want the Holy Spirit to come in and make this body his home. And then I'll be the guest, and he'll be the homeowner. Anybody want to say amen? Are you sure? Some of you are saying, well, do you have a stiff neck? Or do you want the fullness of the glory of God to Shekinah glory shining out of your face and out of your life? That's what David wanted. He didn't know how to get the Holy Spirit. He knew that there was a material object called the ark. Please understand, the ark was made of acacia wood 
and then it was covered over completely with gold. And then there was a a lid on it called the mercy seat. And the mercy seat was solid gold. And the blood would be placed on top of the mercy seat where the visible Shekinah glory of God dwelt. There was not a rudder on this ark. There were no means of propulsion in this ark. Please understand, that's all symbolic. The ark represented Jesus Christ. The humanity, enshrouded by the gold of righteousness, with a mercy seat of complete righteousness and holiness, This is who Jesus was. But he was in the flesh. So he had to be carried around on the backs of men. And David didn't know that. So he just put the ark in a new ox cart. The Philistines had transported it in a new ox cart. So he figured he could worship God the same way the Philistines did. You can't worship God the way the world worships God. You can't just show up at church and give a little offering and then go about your week and be in charge of your life and run your life the way you think you want to and go to the entertainment you want to go to and just live your life. You can't do that. That's how the Philistines worship God. So here comes the ox cart. Big, impressive oxen pulling the new wagon. And right in the middle of it is sitting the Ark of the Covenant. One of the sons of Abimadab walks ahead of it. Uzzah walks behind it. And it rolls over the threshing floor. The oxen stumble and the Ark teeters. Uzzah reaches out his hand to steady the ark. And he is struck dead by the wrath of God. 2 Samuel chapter 6, verse 8. David was angry because the Lord's wrath had broken out. David was angry at God. Obviously, he had the best intentions. All he wanted was the presence of God to come into Jerusalem. And he didn't think it mattered how he went about trying to accomplish it. He thought all he had to do was bring the ark and God would come. God doesn't operate that way. There's an organic process that we have to walk through day by day. We don't just say, okay, today I'm going to be a Christian and go become a Christian. As one man said, look, pastor, I'm just going to take a couple months off from Jesus. I'm going to enjoy life. And after a couple months, I'm going to come back. You'll see me back in church and I'm going to worship Jesus. doesn't work that way. You don't come to Jesus because you wake up one morning and say, you know what, 
I think it'd be a neat idea to go follow Jesus. It doesn't work that way. A man or woman is touched by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit begins to call. The Holy Spirit begins to woo. The Holy Spirit reaches out in love and says, come. And we either respond to that or we reject that. And if we reject it, we may not have another opportunity to come to Jesus. We come at his call in our heart. Now, David had the call of the Holy Spirit to bring the Ark of the Covenant, the symbol of Jesus Christ, our Savior, the King, the Son of David, to bring Jesus into Jerusalem. But he thought it was a human desire. And so he paid no attention to how he was to bring the Ark. So he did it like the Philistines did it. I've heard some people say, Pastor, if you want the Holy Spirit to come, there's only one way. You have to call everybody every night of the week, and we have to just pray. And if we'll do that, revival will come and the Holy Spirit will come. I used to believe that until I did it. Holy Spirit didn't come. Holy Spirit doesn't come because of human hard work. That's what the Philistines do. If we want the Holy Spirit, we're going to have to obey and walk in the prescribed manner by which we can gain the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And if you were in our prayer time, you would have heard our brother David pray, there is no deliverance without righteousness. So the question comes, how does righteousness come? Righteousness does not come by getting a wheel and getting a prayer and fastening it to it and letting it blow in the wind. It doesn't come by much words on our part. It doesn't come by going through some ritual. Now, just to quickly finish this story, the Ark of the Covenant was taken to another home, and it rested in that home for three months. And that home was so richly blessed that David said, I cannot be king and not have the Ark of the Covenant in Jerusalem. Now, I want every one of you to come to a place in your heart where you say, I cannot survive one more minute without the presence of the Holy Spirit in my heart. I can't do it. I can't survive. I can't walk clean. I can't do what I need to do unless the Holy Spirit comes. That was David's attitude. So this time he talked with the, with the priests the tribe of Levite. He discovered what the prescribed manner was for bringing the Ark of the Covenant from one place to another. And it was prescribed to be on the shoulders, carried with long poles on the shoulders of godly men 
who had consecrated their lives, who were washed and clean, and they were to carry it on their shoulders. This is symbolic. It is the relationship between Jesus and his people. I want to tell you today, the Ark of the Covenant is only going to move into your family and into your culture as you carry the Ark of the Covenant on your shoulders. The Lord is looking for bodies, for men and women who will carry him on their shoulders, who will give themselves utterly to carrying Jesus. And you can't have your hands full of the things of this world and carry Jesus. Everything has to be laid down but Jesus. So that when you go to your work, you go there carrying Jesus. When you go to your family, you go there carrying Jesus. And you're not going to be very successful carrying Jesus into a movie theater. You're not going to be very successful carrying Jesus into a place of darkness because if it's really Jesus you're carrying, that place of darkness will turn into a place of light and evil will flee. So David sent the Levites to get the ark. And David, with much rejoicing, wearing a linen ephod. In other words, he laid aside his crown and his kingly robes and just wore the plain undergarment that went under the robe. And he had musicians and thousands upon thousands of men and women in procession together, dancing and shouting and worshiping and praising Jesus. Every few steps they would offer another sacrifice And David and the entire house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouts and the sound of trumpets. Michael, King Saul's daughter, the love of his life, was watching from the palace. And she was not about to go down amongst the common people. She stayed up in her upper chamber where she could look out and watch all of this going on. And she was shamed by her husband's dancing before God. She was jealous because he was in the plainness before the servant girls. She despised her husband for his honor to Jesus. They brought the ark of the Lord. They set it in its place in the new tent of meeting that David had had constructed. And then he gave, in verse 19, this is 2 Samuel 6, 19, he gave a loaf of bread, a cake of dates, and a cake of raisins to each person and the whole crowd of Israelites. Now David returns home to bless his household. He is returning home to bless Michael, who now despises him in her heart. And she goes out to meet him and she says, how the king of Israel has distinguished himself today, disrobing in the sight of the slave girls of his servants, as any vulgar fellow would do. And David is angry 
at the dishonor she is showing, not to him, but to this new presence of God that is in Jerusalem. And he says, it was before the Lord who chose me rather than your father or anyone from his house. When he appointed me ruler over the Lord's people, I will celebrate before the Lord. I will become even more undignified than this. And I will be humiliated in my own eyes. But by these slave girls you spoke of, I will be held in high honor. And Michael was barren to the day of her death. God would not allow her to give birth to a child because of the way she treated her husband. Well, as I've, I need to tell you how I came to this passage. It was in the middle of the night. The Lord awoke me to go and pray. And he said to me, I am very displeased by the irreverence of my people. And I said, Lord, what are you talking about? I am displeased by the irreverence of my people. And I began to cry out before the Lord, asking, what irreverence are you speaking of? What are you talking about? I'm I'm ignorant. Please teach me, show me. And it became very clear in my heart. The irreverence is the lack of prayer, the lack of devotion, the lack of being concerned about what I say and what I do, my ways instead of God's ways. Where I think I can just say whatever I want to say to anyone I want to say it to, I can just say this to this person because I'm upset with them. Or I can say this because I judge and I'm right and you're wrong. Irreverence. Irreverence between husbands and wives by the way they speak to one another. The lack of love and the lack of sacrifice. The lack of laying down our life one for another. Irreverence before the household of God. I think the almost singular issue that Jesus is concerned with in the church today is reverence. I looked at this word reverence. It's used many times in Scripture as a verb. I reverence someone. I reverence Jesus. Reverence is a verb. It's something that I do. Reverence is to to drop my eyes. It is to drop my head. To reverence is to recognize the power and the authority, the right to be worshipped, the right to be valued. There is in it the element of awe, of awfulness to recognize the glory and the majesty of God, to forget about our own glory, to forget about our own wicked ways, and to reverence the Lord God of heaven, to show him that reverence, not just once in a while, but 24 by 7, 
to reverence Jesus. Uzzah did not reverence the Lord God of heaven. He thought he could grab the ark and steady it. Cost him his life. Then I began to ask other questions. And I've been reading. I have to tell you, maybe you're not this way, but I'm slow in the scriptures. A pagan man said to me, Pastor, why are you always reading the scriptures? He said, you've read that scripture many, many times. I don't read a book that way. I read a book and I toss it and I get the next new book. And every day as he would go on commute to his work, he would be playing a new book on his CD player in the car. And he'd say, after I've listened to it, I've gotten the ideas, I toss it. I give it to somebody else or I just dump it. Why are you stuck on the scriptures? And I said to him, because I'm too slow to get it one time through. You're a lot smarter than I am. You see, I can't make a mistake with the scriptures because if I don't get it right, I'm going to miss heaven. If you don't get your book right, you'll just miss out on an idea. But I'm reading this book to figure out how I can get to heaven. How I can escape from death into life. So maybe maybe the reason I keep reading it is because I know my life is dependent on this. And I'm going to have to pass the test. Well, I'm slow. If you were to look at my Bible, you would see that the pages of Romans, the sixth chapter through the 8th chapter, are literally falling apart. They're tearing. They're they're disintegrating. Because I've read it so many times, trying to get a hold of it so I can understand it. Because I know it's life or death. Chapter 6, verse 15 says, What then, shall we sin because we're no longer under law but under grace? By no means. Never, it means, in the Greek. It means never, not even once. Don't even consider it. It's not a part of your life. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone to obey him as slaves, you are slaves to the one you obey? Whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. In other words, there are only two choices. You can walk in your sin and die, or you can walk in the righteousness of Jesus and live. Those are the two choices. So how do I gain righteousness? How do I gain, in practical terms, how do I gain righteousness? You know what the word righteousness means, right? Dikasune, it means innocence. No guilt. But there is another word with it that we need to understand. It is rendered innocent. And you know what it means when we render meat. You put the meat in a pot, you cover it with water, and you boil it. You cook it. And the fat comes to the surface and you scoop it off. Fat in Scripture is a symbol for sin. 
The scriptures say in the Old Covenant, do not eat the fat with the meat. Because fat in scripture represents sin. It's to be burned on the altar. Okay, so the fat's taken out of your heart, out of your life. Then you're innocent. You're righteous. But how does that happen? Practically, how does that happen? I want to read it for you. Look with me at Romans, the sixth chapter, verse 16, part B. Or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. Obedience leads to righteousness. So in our lives, as the Holy Spirit begins to speak to us, the very first steps of coming to righteousness are those concrete expressions of saying, Yes, Lord. You want me to read the Scriptures each day? Yes, Lord. You want me to pray each day? Yes, Lord. And we begin to make covenants with God that say, Yes, Lord, I covenant with you. He is a covenant-keeping God. You cannot simply make, at the beginning, a covenant of righteousness. That's step number two. Step number one is a covenant with God to obey the word of the Holy Spirit as He speaks to you. You're not going to obey your word You are going to obey the word of the Holy Spirit. So he says, this bitter root of your heart has to go. This anger, this bitterness, this lack of forgiveness, this grudge against your wife, or this grudge against your brother, or this grudge against your boss, you have to let it go. Now, how do you let it go? Here's the obedience. You go to the Lord and you say, Lord, my heart is filled with bitterness toward my boss. I don't like how he's treating me. He's not being fair. It's really talking about the reality. It's not sugarcoating it. It's talking about the reality. Or Lord God, you know that I do not want to go to that pornography. But it keeps sweeping me away. Oh, Lord, you know I don't want to go to the depression, but it keeps coming on me. Whatever it is, it's admitted, it's confessed, it's stated out loud before the throne of God. And then you ask in the name of Jesus, will you remove this from my life and from my heart? I'm not going to walk that way anymore. I am standing by faith that your blood, Jesus, will remove this thing from me. That's how obedience begins. Where you acknowledge your sin, you confess it before God, and you ask by the power of the blood of Jesus that it be broken and you be released from it. I don't care what the impossible circumstances of your life are. Jesus can deliver you. But it's going to require confession on your part. 
And it's going to require a covenant with Jesus on your part. That, that I'm done with this in the name of Jesus. I'm not going there anymore. It's over. And I claim by faith your blood, Jesus. I claim by faith your blood. I will obey you in this small thing. I will obey you. All righteousness is, is all the little things of your life being put under the blood of Jesus. Now, you can spend the rest of your life doing this if you choose to. Or you can just get at it and get it done. You know, my dad, we had puppies, and my dad got the scissors, and we had to stub their tails. And my dad said, Raymond, shall we take it off one little snip at a time? Or shall we just do it and cut it one time? I said, well, Daddy, it'll hurt a lot more, won't it, if you just do it up there one time? Isn't it going to be kinder to cut off a little bit at a time? He said, no. You only want one cut. You want it done. Well, most Christians that I know cut off their tail one little snip at a time. Because they think it won't hurt as much that way. You know, because I want to keep this relationship the way it is. And I want to keep my, my job deal the way it is. And I, want to, and I want to be dishonest with this person for just a little longer because by being dishonest, I have certain advantages. Oh, you're in for pain. Just do it. Just cut it off. It'll be bloody. But do it. This is the way righteousness comes into a person's life as a covenant with God. And they put it under the blood until everything in your life is under the blood. And the power of Jesus, I mean, you understand, this word righteousness is translated often as justification. It literally means to be made righteous. None of us were born righteous. We were born in sin. It says obedience, which leads to righteousness. The narrow path is to deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow Jesus. Now, please, could I ask just a very practical question? Where are you stuck in this path? And where have you said, okay, Jesus, enough? Look how far I've gone. Isn't that far enough? Can't I keep a little of my bitterness? Can't I keep a little of my anger? Can't I keep the comfort of this person in my life? Because, Jesus, I know they're not right. I know they walk in sin. But, Jesus, I just enjoy them. Where have you been stopped in the journey of being made righteous? Because I want to show you now that if you are not made righteous, you cannot enter into heaven. Being made righteous is not optional for entering into heaven. 
It's not, I try as hard as I can on the path toward righteousness, but I know I'll never get there. If you never get there, you'll never enter heaven. It all has to be laid down. If you look with me, again in the sixth chapter, verse 27. But now that you have been set free from sin, do you hear what he's saying? He's saying you've been made righteous when you've been set free from your sin. If you're not set free from your sin, you're not righteous yet. And you have it to do. Not by your works, but by the blood of Jesus. He says, but now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness and the result of eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So there is a progression moving from obedience to righteousness to holiness. Now, if you'll look with me in the book of Hebrews, the 12th chapter, verse 14. Hebrews, the 12th chapter, verse 14. I'll wait while you find it. I want you to see this very clearly. It's a wonderful, astonishing truth of God. Make every effort to live in peace with all men and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one misses the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause and cause trouble and defile many. See that there is no one sexually immoral or godless like Esau, who for a single meal sold his inheritance rights as the oldest son. Afterward, as you know, when he wanted to inherit this blessing, he was rejected. He could bring about no change of mind, though he sought the blessing with tears. We are called to be holy. It's a progressive work of God. It is choosing at the very beginning of our walk with Jesus to confess freely everything the Holy Spirit calls us to confess. Then to lay that plainly under the blood of Jesus. To make covenant with God. And it calls us to make a covenant to be righteous. Because righteousness opens the door to holiness. Without holiness, you cannot see the Lord. The word holiness means sacred, set apart. No longer a part of the wickedness that goes on around me. I don't participate in it anymore. I'm no longer irreverent. Irreverence is choosing to go back to my wickedness. It is choosing to be in control and to speak whatever I want to speak. I struggle with a very religious man who spouts off anything that happens to pop into his brain. James says the tongue is a fire. And who can control it? It's the rudder that steers a man or woman's life. 
And so for a man to be so irreverent that he would be religious, but utterly spout out anything he wants to say whenever he wants to say it. He is an unholy man, an unrighteous man who does that. There must be a covenant. I will be righteous before God. Some of you have made that covenant. And then you said, this is too hard. I've tried as hard as I can and I can't do it. I'm going to blow out of this and go have some devil food for a while. The Christian walk is only hard for those who want to do it without the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit and without the blood of Jesus to break the power of sin in their life. Now the devil will come with every attack. He will cause us to weep. He will cause us to be in sore trouble. And Jesus allows this to come into our life, Hebrews, the 12th chapter, as discipline to train us because you can only learn righteousness in suffering. And as we learn righteousness in suffering and we see the power of the blood blow away the devil's arguments, we come to a place finally where we say, I would rather die than sin against the Most High God. I am not going to give way to my flesh. I'm not going to give way to the devil. I am making a covenant of righteousness. And I will follow Jesus. And the result will be holiness in your life. And without that holiness... You cannot see the Lord. Only holy people will enter the kingdom of God. Not people who are trying to be righteous. It is not enough to try to be righteous. Okay, I'll try as hard as I can to do what mom and dad said I had to do. But I'm mad about it. Or I'll try to please my wife, but I'm mad about it. Or I'll try to please my husband, but I'm mad about it. You're in trouble. You are in deep trouble. It's that root of bitterness that grows up and defiles. It says, see to it that no one misses the grace of God. That is the divine power of God to enable you to live a righteous life. If you miss the grace of God, a bitter root will grow up in your heart that will cause you trouble and will defile many others. And then you turn to sexual immorality as your escape. You turn to a wicked movie as an escape. You turn to some kind of godlessness like Esau for your escape because you've tried as hard as you can and you couldn't handle it and you're mad I want to say something that may surprise you. Your anger will never bring glory to Jesus. Your harsh words, your angry actions will only increase the bitter root that grows in your heart and will completely separate you from the Holy Spirit. I can tell you now 
I'm speaking to you under the anointing of the Holy Spirit. This meeting can end and one of you can come to me and say something that I don't like and I can become enraged by what you have said to me and immediately the Holy Spirit will utterly leave me. You can go home after church or you can be riding home in the car and you can say some sharp thing to the person that's riding with you in the car. You can be angry with them and the Holy Spirit will totally leave you. The Holy Spirit will not stay with you as you rise up with harsh words against a brother or sister or family member. The Holy Spirit will depart from you. Now, the Bible does recognize that sometimes we're going to get angry. It's an emotion. Emotions just are. But the Word says, don't let the sun go down on your anger. Deal with it. And how do you deal with it? You deal with it by confession. You deal with it with the covenant of righteousness. You put it away. You ask Jesus by His powerful blood to remove the root of bitterness that has lodged in your heart that you no longer will go there. You can't uproot the root. I have these plants growing in my yard called dandelions. Have you ever tried to get a dandelion root out of your yard? You pull up the dandelion and it breaks off and there's a root about that deep. So I have this long prong on a handle and I push that down to try to get all of that root out. But you know what? I can't get the whole root out because the root has fine threads going off of it. So I can get the core of it. You know what it does? It just delays the dandelion because it'll be back soon. I only know one way to get the dandelion out of my yard. Put weed poison on it. And it sucks into that thing. And it kills every part of it. I only know one way to get rid of the root of bitterness in a person's heart. And that's to put the blood of Jesus on it. But we usually don't want to do that because, frankly, we enjoy our root. It justifies our behavior. And we can play victim then. And we can say, look how you're treating me. And all I did was try to speak the truth to you. No, it's got to have the direct blood of Jesus applied to it. We renounce it. And we say, I'm not... I'm not going there. I've covenanted with Jesus to be clean, to be washed, to be whole. Jesus, I don't want this thing in my life anymore. Would you please remove it now? And then by faith, we wait for that total removal to take place. And it's done. Now today, I open this message by saying to you, I want the Shekinah glory of God in my life. And I've tried to lay out for you in plain, simple language what it will take when you said with me, yes, I want the Shekinah glory of God in my life. All right. It's going to take that step-by-step obedience to the Holy Spirit. And it's going to take a covenant with righteousness. And it's going to take being made holy where the Holy Spirit is totally taken over your life. 
and you live with the peace of God in your heart and the joy of the Lord in your spirit. Now, when we're saved, when we come to Jesus initially, the peace of God comes in. But as you know, in a marriage, there's a honeymoon. And after the honeymoon, it's easy to begin to gather bitter furniture. That's when the real test comes. Do you really want love with that woman or with that man or with that daughter or with that son? Do you really want love with your parents? Then lay down your sword and confess and the peace of God will return to your heart. Anger and sin destroy the peace of God in your heart. So if you've lost any of that initial peace that you had in Jesus, know that you've got some business you've got to conduct with the Lord. And it's probably going to be around the issue of a bitter root. Anger. Pride. Lust. I mean, we're all human. Those are the basic things. The devil's not too smart. He has a limited vocabulary and a limited number of tricks. Oh, he can pull them and they're painful, but he's limited. He only deals in sin, not righteousness. Lord, I pray today that these passages of Scripture have made plain the step-by-step process by which we are to have the victory. It is what you intend for us. You did not leave your bride to be ravished and raped by the devil. Lord, you gave us your precious promises that we could participate in the divine nature and be swallowed up and be seated at the right hand of Christ in glory now, present tense. Lord, I'm asking you to grow us up and to bring us into the fullness of obedience and righteousness and holiness Lord, thank you. I pray in your holy name. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress, brought to you by the National Prayer Chapel in Woodbridge, Virginia. Write to us at the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195, or visit us online at nationalprayerchapel.com. God bless you. We love you. of myself I'm empty and dry I have nothing to give but surrender inside let down your nets this is not the end from now on you'll Fishers of men Follow me Follow me Follow me Follow me At the end of myself 
Judgment calls out my name. I've been looking for love, but I'm swallowed by shame. Throw away all your stones. Find forgiveness in me. Let me be your new passion. My daughter, you're free. Follow me. Follow me. Follow me. Follow me. At the end of myself, I've done things my own way. This world gave up on me. Now it's death I do pay. You know who I am. I'm sin sacrificed. Today you will be in hell. General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.